This is the Commercial Appeal. I didn't have any um, particular goals set for this moment in time because I just knew this season was going to be crazy. And I just kind of prepared myself to be able to deal with adversity and know that we're going to see a lot of different challenges. So I didn't have necessarily a number of wins or anything like that. You know, the biggest thing I'm, you know, I've been fighting for more than anything is our connection and making sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all in. Uh, leaders are leading, guys are playing in their roles. and. You know, if you're doing the right things every day, you give yourself a chance to win. And so that's all I was hoping is that by this time, we would be doing most of the things right. This is the Grizzlies podcast with Grizzlies beat reporter Ron Tillery, columnist Jeff Calkins, and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. Ron Tillery is off uh, doing some Grizzlies reporting at the moment. So you've got me, Jeff Calkins, columnist, and Chris Harrington, who uh, does such brilliant work on his pick-and-pop columns uh, here to discuss the Grizzlies. And I want to start um, with what David Fisdale was just talking about. He said he did not have a number in mind when the season began. No coach would ever say that they had a number in mind when the season began. But you picked the number, Chris. Uh, was it 44? No, it was higher than that. I want to say it was 46 or 47. And I, I'd have to go back and look. Really? But, yeah. Your number was four. Okay, and I, my question is this. What, where would that number be? And I, whatever. And I'm, given everything that's happened, the good and the bad, from the from the, the the year so far, would you upgrade that number or downgrade that number, or do you think you were spot on? I'm going to look and see what they're on pace for. Nah, I just did the math wrong. So they won, oh, they played 40 games, not 50 games. So I'm doing this live, live math here. Live math with so Chris they Harrington. they won 24 games out of White's, 40. Product of White Station uh, math program went on to study, presumably <laughs> right. not math at McAllister College. I thought yeah. about, I did think about it, actually, uh-huh. being a math uh-huh. minor. I didn't oh, you do did. it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, they're on pace for 49, um, so that's you know that's pretty good, um, and so I I feel like I feel like 49 seems pretty good for them right now, and I would not be surprised if they were actually slightly better than that if they can maintain some decent health the rest of the way. They haven't had great health so far. I mean, Chandler Parsons can barely move, and Mike Conley's missed a lot of games, and so you know they've been fortunate with Marcus All, but they have had some. The biggest, as as you identified heading into the season. The biggest health story of the year has turned out perfectly, which is the yes. Marcus Gasol health story. Right. So we might take that for granted, and then we say, "Oh, they didn't have great health." Because, but let's not take that. Like, that is right. the biggest thing that that could have happened, and is that he has been not just healthy, but flourishing and 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 better than ever. And then the Chandler Parsons one has been on the flip side. Plus the whatever Mike Conley and and Wright, and then we've had these. I think you assume, and we're almost at the halfway point here. Forty games, so so they'll be at the halfway point after tomorrow night. OKC. Uh, I probably should have done a halfway column this week, but I wanted to write about the Golden State game. Maybe I'll do that next week. But you have to assume that the second half of the season is likely to go much better for Chandler Parsons than the first half of the season yes. did, right? Correct. Um, and then, you know, you you hope with Gasol. I, I, th- I think we're far enough into the season that there's no reason to expect things to go poorly with Gasol health-wise, but you never know. I mean, it happens every season. Somebody goes It's just down. a moment. Right. Like, it's just a moment. Yeah. You can't predict a moment happening or not happening. We're going right. to assume it's not. There's no indication that he's in whatever, so we will assume good things. So, in fact, although there have been some ups and downs this year, all in all, better than you would have 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was optimistic in the sense of being above the. Um, I remember what the Vegas line was. It was right. like forty two or something. Right, something and like then that. there were lots of people who were projecting who low thirties. Yeah, way I mean, the high thirties. A lot of people were high thirties. And so, like, I like I, I did a big podcast before the season started with uh, Nate Duncan, who does this national podcast. Dunk, 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 Dunk. He, he does. He did a preview for every team with a, a, a local writer. And so when when we did it, like I I, I had it at forty six, I think. Um, and he had him at like forty or thirty nine or something like that, and so I was a little over the over the Vegas line. He was a little under, and he sort of joked that you know you know every writer I've had on is has, has gone over, sort of joking like oh the homers, right? And like I appreciate that there is a little bit of that going on, and I didn't take offense. But one of the things I wanted to say was if you go back over the years, like this whole playoff run, six years or whatever, they have more often than not exceeded my preseason prediction. Um, even when my preseason prediction has Exceeds been above the national prediction, yes, right? And so, like, they are routinely underrated by the by the rest of the country. And part of that is because people retroactively look more at, especially like quote unquote smart people, retroactively look at point differential more than record because, by and large, that is a better indicator. But it's not with the Grizzlies. So they so they look at it and say, oh, they won a lot of close games last year, and now they're getting older, and so this will happen. And then it just doesn't. If they stay healthy, they're good. The other thing that uh, David Fisdale talked about in the opening remarks here, uh, first was the number, and he's not going to predict a number. The second one was connectedness. He talked about connectedness, everyone being all in, same page. Uh, there have been some ups and downs there. I think largely it has been a story of connectedness. I mean, there's the moment that he called out Marcus All, and we've had uh, uh, smaller things that have that have cropped up. But there is the issue of connectedness now as it pertains to Zach Randolph, right. who, as he is playing really his among his, some of his best basketball of the season, has also started with the mutterings to, to talk to Tim McMahon, which was really a fairly um, – it was a little. I mean, it was a direct quote. It was a. It was a. I don't know. Troubling quote, but it was as much. Zach has always, even though everyone who knows Zach knows he wants to be starting, um, and knows that he thinks he's better than you know, still prime Zach. He doesn't typically say it. He says, "Team, whatever it takes. I'm gonna, you know." And if after a loss, he might grumble or something. But here we are. The team is rolling along, two big victories, and he says what he says to Tim McMahon. Is that where? What did you make of that? I mean, I, I sir, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but it was almost sort of like a little rollout, right? Because you had, you had his his conduct, his his. Um, his comments to Tim McMahon, and then before that, you had the Damon po- Stoudemire. Well, but, well, oh. yeah, but right before that, you had his um, in-game interview of Doris Burke, which is almost like a repeat of like classic Grizzlies moment, right? Doris Burke's interviewing Zach Randolph after a big win, except this time it wasn't um, blue collar player, blue collar town. It was I'm still in my prime, <laughs> right. even though he's about to be 36. Right. But you want guys to sort of believe they're in their prime, and then the Stoudemire thing. Who knows? I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, right. but like those guys are close. Their teammates right. twice over. So with David Stoudemire to sort of out of the blue, wild cruisers are in California, like pipe up about you know maybe this is coming to an end was sort of I think raised a lot of antenna. Um, I feel like Zach. I think it is clear that Zach Zach Randolph thinks he should be starting and he should be playing thirty plus minutes a game and probably he should be taking twenty shots a game. I think it's clear he believes that. I think he's played well enough that he has reason to believe that, even if I don't necessarily believe that myself. I don't think it becomes an issue other than squawking here and there, as long as the team's winning. I don't. I think it could become an issue this summer when he looks up and says, 
come on now, look what I did. And it could become an issue in terms of contract negotiations and decisions about his future. I don't think it's going to be a big deal in this basketball season. Do you think uh, some have made the point that, okay, starting, not starting, whatever, he's made the right decision. It seems like the right role for him coming off the bench, being the focal point, playing with Mark a bunch, actually. It's not like that they don't play together. They certainly did against Golden State. But various people have made the point that it's not even necessarily about, maybe for Zach, I think there's a pride element of starting, but should he be playing more minutes than he's playing? He's well, got, what, he's averaging 21 minutes? Should he be averaging 28 it's minutes? It's starting to happen. He's averaging 20, some more live math here. He's averaging 23 minutes a game on the season, and then I'm looking at his game logs. That's one, two, three, four, seven. So of in six of the last seven games, he's exceeded his season average in minutes. And that I mean, one of those was the you know the overtime, but still, it's twenty seven against Utah, it's thirty five against Golden State, it was twenty eight against the Lakers, twenty nine against Boston, twenty five, twenty four. So he he his numbers playing time wise are, are trending up. Yeah. And I think what you I think I think I think I haven't talked to David Fisdale about this, but what I, what I see watching the games is two things happening: one, a recognition. Well, three things. One, a recognition that Zach is playing really well and probably deserves more minutes, and he's chirping about more minutes, and he's playing like he deserves more minutes. Right. Um, two. Jermichael Green broke his face, and so that, that has some, right. some bearing on it. But then three, we haven't talked about it much because we don't really talk about the back end of the roster, but Jarrell Martin's having a pretty disappointing sec- sophomore season. And so Brandon Wright's hurt, and Deontay Davis is hurt, and Jarrell Martin as a forward is shooting under 40%. And so it's kind of easy at that point to shrink your big man rotation down to three players, Marcus All, Jermichael Green, Zach Randolph, who have all been really good, and you got 96 minutes for two spots and three really good players to fill them, and that helps that's, Zach that's Randolph get minutes. more minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I'm with you. I don't really particularly worry about this as it pertains to this season as a someone who would like to see, for sentimental reasons and uh, whatever, uh, who would like to see Zach be here forever and have him retire a Grizzly. And what you do wonder if it will have uh, – if this is any foreshadowing of of issues to come. And yet, in the end, I have a hard time believing that there will be a better place for Zach, I, I, apart from the personal stuff, which really has meant a lot to him. I've been dodging this question for weeks. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise here on this podcast that between now and next week, I will actually do the math on cap projections mm-hmm. and luxury tax and, and get into likelihood of him being back in the contract right. stuff. Yeah. I, I I don't assume that that he's not back by by any stretch. You don't assume that he's not back, right? I certainly do not assume that he is not back. I think the odds are emotionally there's, that he will there, do what there, there even in his last contract right. he made a decision that he wanted to be here, and I think that is he here here is what I think is different. I think on the last contract he took he he gave them a he took he took less money to stay here. I do not think this summer he takes less money to stay here. The question is. Are the Grizzlies do the Grizzlies pay him a market rate contract, whatever that is? That's what's the best offer you get from outside? Here's a dollar more. That's a market rate contract, right? Do they pay him a market rate contract and do they give him a role that he's happy with? I don't think he takes less money to come back. The question is, you know, because what I actually still think he does take less money. Do you really? Yeah, but I mean, the grumbling suggests maybe not, but in the end, when you look at, I mean. He invests quietly in real estate in Memphis. Like yeah. he is involved. He's got his kids. He's in got school, his kid in Lausanne. He's got for what? For to go? Like I can see if someone were offering him a max deal, or if someone were offering him well, starting th- on a this is my point lineup. about a market. I don't think that deal is out there. Well, that that's my point about a market rate contract. I don't think anyone's going to come up, even with the cap exploding. And I'll, and I'll do the math, and maybe I'll change my mind. I don't see anyone saying Zach Randolph at age thirty six this summer. Here's a three year deal. 
for more than $15 million a year. Like, I don't think that's happening. I think it's a two-year deal for something like, you know, I think it's in the range of if you're the Grizzlies, you know, maybe you pay that. But you gotta you gotta figure out, you know, can you bring back him and Jamichael Green? And if you if you if one of them walks, which seems likely to most people, are you are you in an okay situation with Jarrell Martin, Deontay Davis coming up? Putting aside Chanda Parsons, which I want to get to in a minute, um, halfway through this season, how do you evaluate the Grizzlies off season? Well, <laughs> setting aside Chandler Parsons, setting um, aside because that's that that will define. It's the interesting when you look around the league at free agency. Um, this is another thing I should write about. When you look around the league in free agency, I mean, the Chandler Parsons looms just like this big question mark because of his health, right? But you look around the league at big money that went out to non All Star players. Evan Turner disaster in Portland. Kent Bazemore way underplaying his contract yep. in Atlanta. All around the league, these sub All Star guys who got these big contracts because the cap exploded have been disappointments. You look at the Grizzlies. Uh, a a um a, it was the room exception of two years six million for James Ennis huge bargain bargain three, I think it was three years ten on Troy Daniels bargain huge bargain right. those were great signings right and so I, I I think you know if you're gonna gamble big on one end you need to sort of hit it on the low end to sort of make up for the risk and they totally hit it on the on the low end with with Ennis and Daniels and so I I think I think they were smart. If Chandler Parsons can never get health again, that will end up being a bad contract. But the general theory of go big on a high upside player and then try to bargain hunt below instead of oh, hitting. Particularly if you bargain hunt effectively. Yeah. I mean, instead of, instead James of, Ennis has been b- better than some of the players you Instead of shopping in the middle. Right, right. Instead of giving $8 million a year to Solomon Hill, right. give $3 million to James Ennis and $3 million to Troy Daniels. It was a totally smart play by them. And so I think you have to feel good about that. Um, the coaching hire looks great. Yep. I think everyone would say, you know, is Mike Conley's deal in the fifth year going to be a problem? Yes. Probably. Of course, but you had to but do the it. Caps Look, he's, exploding. He's, playing, he's playing fabulously. He's, and people wondered yeah. if he would start falling off the cliff at eight, whatever. He's not. He's so, no. Do, do I wish they could have gotten a better deal on the back end? But sure. But they didn't. And I, I would have done it. If your choice was do that contract or let him walk, you obviously do that contract. That was the right, right. thing to do. And then you get to the draft and, like, has Wade Baldwin been disappointing? Sure. But look around the league. Look at the entire rookie class in the NBA this season, and what you'll see is almost no one is good. Right. Um, the only players who are good are Joel Embiid, who's great. He's great. And Malcolm Brogdon, who's really good. Yep. You know what? Joel Embiid was drafted three years ago. Malcolm Brogdon was a was a four year senior who was old for his class. He's already twenty four years old. If you look around the NBA at 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 true at college underclassmen rookies, rookies in the sort of the Wade Baldwin area, no, literally no one is good. I mean, Buddy Hill's been okay. He was a four year guy. Jamal right. Murray, you know, was taken in the mid lottery, supposed to be a pure shooter. He's shooting under forty percent. Brandon Ingram for the Lakers was number two overall pick. He's doing nothing. Literally, there is not a single rookie in the entire NBA who who is who's like 20 years old or around that age, who's doing anything at all. And so I don't know what Wade Baldwin's going to One of the interesting challenges of the offseason was to solve the backup point guard issue. Well, they chose to come in with two rookies, and 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 that's a real question. And they came in with two. The interesting thing is, is that I don't think there's any evidence that they successfully solved it. I understand Andrew Harrison has had his moments, whatever. I, I people accuse me of picking out players that I just loathe for different reasons. Jeff Green well, was that, the that, one that's last in the year. classic Grizzlies tradition, right? And really. then Andrew Harrison, right. because it just you know I I just it, it 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 offends me. The aesthetic watching him play on the offensive end offends me. Right. So so I. Uh, but what's interesting is that they have been as good as they have been 
as a franchise, exceeding certainly everybody's expectations outside of this city and many within this city, even though they really haven't solved the backup point guard situation. They went 7-2 and two without a starting point guard. Right. I mean, that's what was astounding. Like, how did they do that? Um, I, I don't know. And, the, and it's a real question. I got I asked this again today. I get asked it all the time. I don't have an answer. Are they going to, you know, they're going to go out and get a backup point guard for the rest of the season? Are they going to go with what they have? And they're getting by with it to a degree that I'm not, I don't rule out. They just go with what they have. Well, that's funny. Because I don't think they have anybody want, they want to cut. When Adrian Wojnarowski was in here the other, a couple of weeks ago, he said to me, we were just talking about whatever. And he said, yeah, he said, they've been great. He said, you know, if you redrafted, he said, Andrew Harrison would be a first round draft pick. And, and, well, he got drafted two years ago. I understand but, that, yeah. but but I'm like, well, I mean, I, I'm, maybe. I mean, I'm like, you're talking about thirty players. That's actually a lot of players. Maybe, but I mean, this this idea that he was some brilliant discovery. Here's what it actually suggested to me: Adrian's very close to the front office. Yes, it suggested to me that the front office loves Andrew Harrison. Right. That's that. That's that's what I got out of that, and so it plays into this question that you suggested, which is, uh, will they go get someone? And I think maybe if they think he's he, he's been logging. Hugh, I'd have to go back and look. I, I, it's not. It's possible he's logged the most minutes of any rookie in the NBA this season. Given Joel Embiid's minutes <laughs> right. restriction, like that's possible. I'd have to go look. It wouldn't shock me if that was true. But he's been logging huge minutes, and part of that is like you know Wade Baldwin's not ready and whatever. But part of that is like the coaching staff believed in him and kept wanting to yep. give him minutes. Now I think you've seen a little crack in that shell the last few games because you've had each of the last two games you've had in the third quarter them come out and, and play Tony Allen as a backup point guard. Right. And so you wonder if, if that faith is starting to wobble a little bit. Okay, on Chandler Parsons, uh, some promising developments over the weekend as he looks like a basketball player. Yeah, I mean the thing about him is that he's got – He's got great skill relative to his size. And so he's a 6'10 guy who who handles, dribbles, and shoots like a guard when he's at all healthy. And so you're finally seeing him get a little lift in his legs and the shot's got a little bit more arc and it's starting to go in. I mean, like, like I said to you earlier, I, I, don't, I don't assume that his traje- trajectory, it's a hard word to say out loud, the rest of the season is going to be a straight path up. I think it'll jag. But I do think the general trend hopefully will now will now be up. Yeah, I, I was. It was as great as the weekend was, with the glorious comeback win over the Warriors, and then the very important and yet in some ways equally impressive follow up with uh, playing a totally different style right. and bludgeoning Utah. I just thought, you know, watching him move like a basketball player. Because what's interesting is, is that. When he was limping around, he very clearly knows how to play basketball. You could see that the geometry of the game is something that comes naturally to him. He was trying to find other people. But when literally you are no threat at all yourself, that, that's as of limited use. Yeah. If he becomes now a real threat himself, it changes things dramatically I mean, and raises the ceiling yeah. for the team. I mean, that's the whole idea. I mean, they're only 23rd right now over the course of the season offensively. But they've jumped from like 29 to 23rd over the last few weeks, so they've been trending up and getting Troy Daniels in the in the in the game and getting his shots falling is part of that. But the whole idea is that Parsons would finally be the missing piece between the third point in a triangle with right. with Mike Conley and Marcus All in a way that Rudy Gay and Jeff Green weren't because they weren't pure shooters and they, and, and they held the they, and they held players, the ball too much yeah. and they you know and that Parsons. And, and we've seen, I mean, Chandler Parsons is no rookie. Like, he's been in the NBA. We've seen that when he's healthy, he is more, he fits that better. Let me ask you a question, because mm-hmm. I threw I threw this out on Twitter, and then I read about it a little bit in the column this week. 
The last two games were against Western Conference playoff teams, the Warriors and the Jazz. The next two games are also against Western Conference playoff teams, presumably, the Thunder and the Rockets. And so I think I think even though we're not even exactly to the halfway point, we're already in like standings watch mode. At least I am every night to see like where things are. Who would you want to see in the playoffs, not from a competitive standpoint, but from a an interest standpoint? I suggested that Utah is the team I would least like the oh, no, Grizzlies I think to play in the series. Least, absolutely. Yeah. That was a hideously ugly game. It was, and they don't even hate each other. So you don't have they that don't hate each other. Play. No, no. I think that would be the the least interesting series uh, by a significant margin. Um, the Clippers would be there. St- would be the most interesting still because there is that hatred yeah. built in. I think that would be the most interesting. Um, I almost think. Uh, I don't see it happening because I don't see that uh, falling this way. I think Oklahoma City would be an interesting combination of there's enough hatred built in there, and yet right. I think the Grizzlies really would win that series. So I, I, I and the Grizzlies of, owe them one, right? Yeah, I mean, and I like they lost I li- twice. I like that one because I think there is some built-in stuff. People don't like Russell Westbrook. There is some history, and I think they might win that series. They could knock off Houston. I don't know that I would pick them to, however. Um, so I think I would go uh, Clippers, Oklahoma City, Houston, and Utah as my preferred order. Yeah, I, I generally agree with that. I, I think Houston would be intriguing because we haven't seen it before, and I think right. the matchups are great with James Harden, Tony Allen. I'm, and I think hopefully you know it won't come in the first round, but if it came in the second or third, I think a fascinating Grizzlies as the underdog against Warriors series would would be pretty a lot interesting. Of um, I think this. I, I in some ways I think I would rather them if you look at past the first round, play the Warriors and the Spurs. I, just because I, I don't know, I just think it would be. I don't think the Spurs series would be fun. Right, it's deflating. Yeah. Just playing the Spurs is typically is is deflating, and it's so methodical. Yes, it's methodical. It's deflating, and we. Pretty, it's like you're John Henry in there, and they're the, they're, they're no, the steam and, engine and if or you whatever. Know how the it steam ends, we're going to assume that both of those series, we know how it they end. Right, there can be some glory along the way in the Warriors thing, whereas I don't know that there is any any. Any with the Spurs. All right. The last thing um, I was going to, I'm not that interested in all star games and all star voting and anything else. So I'm going to lay that aside and we can talk about it another time. Tony Allen voted for a guy who's not even playing in the NBA. <laughs> what I am interested in is your thoughts on this coming weekend um, and the Martin Luther King game and weekend and all of that. Because there was a lot of outrage, which I did not honestly share. Um, I, had, the, I had sort of an unpopular opinion on yeah, it. Yeah. When, when, the, when, the, uh, when the NBA. <clears throat> And my understanding is here's what happened, is that they said, the NBA said, you can play Monday on NBA TV, NBA TV at noon and or at whatever, noon right. and whatever, or you can have this game Sunday night, which will be a, is it ESPN? It's is it ESPN. ESPN? You can have a game after, against the after the football playoffs. Right, Sunday right. night, and it won't be the MLK game, but you can have, and, and, and they said, you know what? Let's just make Monday a gay service, and let's. And there, there are people outraged. Now, I would prefer it honestly right. if they made if they rotated between Memphis and Atlanta as the signature game on Monday. Yes, I would prefer that. That is my preferred solution. I understand the realities of TV and of ratings, however, and I. Um, so I don't know. How do you think it will this, play the, out? And this has is the problem out? with the public reaction to it: is people people are juxtaposing what is versus what should be, not is, not what is versus what was or what right. what would have been. Um, I, I think we all would like for that to be the prime time national TV showcase game on Monday every year on the holiday. I don't think any. We all think that should be the case, but 
given the choice that you just presented, I totally think the Sunday night primetime ESPN showcase game is better than noon on NBA TV. And the other part of it is people talk about the symposium, which they're still going to do with some capacity. But so many people I would talk to would talk about the symposium in sort of a defensive way. And then you talk to them and they'd never even go to it. Like, I go to those symposiums. I see the empty seats. When when they're doing it at 10 a.m. on Monday and people are hustling to get in the game that tips at noon, um, you know, it's not a good setup for even that. I mean, I think in the past when they played later afternoon games, it was better. and You had a little more breathing time in the day. But the noon game on Monday on on, on NBA TV, I, I don't think was working all that great. And so I'm interested to see if they can make it something better this year. It's interesting in particular because now with the head coach, David Fisdale, who very clearly cares about these issues, social issues, I, I don't know what can a franchise do. In terms of being, you can have you can lower the lights and play the Martin Luther King music and and whatever and celebrate Martin Luther King and we all are quiet and whatever. But practically, I mean, this is a franchise that is deeply involved in the community relative to other franchises. Um, what should be their role or what can they do? I mean, that's a good question. I I would assume I haven't seen any announcements to this effect. I would assume on Monday because they have a day off on Monday. Right. They'll be they're going to do a day of service. I'm sure. Yes. So I, I'm sure they will do something on Monday that is more out of the arena into the community, which I think is is better. Um, but what that ends up being a lot of the time is like, let's go do a neighborhood cleanup. And there's like a limit to what that really means, means right? right. It, it's sort of a way to make yourself feel good that you're doing something. It's not a necess- It's a good thing, but it's not a typically a profound statement about anything. It's a symbolic yeah. thing, but that's about it. I right. do. I honestly haven't followed, followed, followed it up on Mike Conley, who, when he signed his contract, spoke very emotionally about – the responsibilities that come with that. I'm not at all suggesting he's shirking them. I don't know what has become of them, though. I don't know what what has happened there. I do know that every time I talk to David Fisdale about these things, he is a guy who is passionate and in, in about these. We things. started that. He started that that, that police league, the Palace League. The police I mean, league. yeah. So I mean, I mean, I, I think Grizzlies are generally good, superb about this. At what they do, right? Yeah, but I I, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what the next. It, it seems the, like there's something that that should be done to make it a more profound weekend that the the Grizzlies can spur, and I'm not sure what that is either. I'm not sure they've totally as great as what they've done is. I don't know that. It, I think there's things to be done beyond the symposium and, and 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 the cleanups and all that. Do you like the uniforms? I have mixed feelings on the uniforms. I don't like the sleeves, but they had to go sleeves. Yeah, yeah. That I, was I, that I, was. I, I don't dictated. like the sleeves. Um, I I. I I don't know. I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I mean, I think they are very well designed and very striking. Um, I I think I wor- I worry that they're a little bit too high concept in a way that you sort of forget about what it's about. Yes, I mean, because I mean, you are. I mean, ideally, you want to tie it to the museum and not to tie it to this moment of assassination, which I think does get a little. I think people. It's easy for people to take the wrong way. Yeah. All right, we will be back uh, next week. Interesting week of games this week with uh, Oklahoma City and Houston and Chicago. We will be back to talk about it all next week. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and analysis, follow the Commercial Appeal on Twitter at Memphis News. This is the Commercial Appeal.